Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. Today, our guest is Dr. Megan Wild. She is a clinical psychologist licensed in California and Colorado. She holds a BA in psychology from Southeastern Missouri State University and has a doctorate in clinical psychology from Allian International University, which is the California School of Professional Psychology in California. Dr. Wild has provided psychotherapy services at Community Research Foundation in San Diego, the Cognitive Therapy Institute in San Diego, and the Mental Health Center of Denver. She has played an integral role in the training of future clinical psychologists, and she is currently providing psychotherapy services at Shift Healing Health Psychology in Colorado. Her extensive experience in working with individuals who are living with and beyond anxiety, depression, trauma, grief, loss, substance use disorders. She works with adults across the lifespan and has a certification in older adult mental health. She enjoys working with individuals coping with chronic medical conditions and trauma related to medical care, as well as providing support to individuals who are in the role of caregiver. Dr. Wild utilizes evidence-based clinical interventions with a cognitive behavioral orientation while also incorporating mindfulness into her practice. And she has expertise in providing dialectical behavioral therapy as well. In addition, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy and assists her clients in reaching their therapeutic goals, addressing barriers to change, helping them connect to their resilience and walking with them on their healing journey. She believes every person has the capacity to grow and live their best life possible. Dr. Wild, you're a natural fit here at SpondyCast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you. So nice to be here. Yeah. So today we're going to talk a little bit about self-care, healthy boundaries, totally a good one, uh, and support for caregivers and loved ones. So uh, yeah, welcome. This is great. So I I got tripped up on self-care because I know we we renamed it filling your cup, whatever fills your cup (laughs) last year. I love that. So let's, can we start by talking about the term caregiver? It means different things to different people. And we're going to talk in a general sense for our listeners. So someone who is a loved one and provides support in some form to a person living with uh, spondyloarthritis or chronic illness uh, might be a parent to a child, a child to a parent, a spouse, a partner. What else comes to mind when you think about caregiver? Right. And I was reflecting, obviously, on this question, and I think you really summed it up, right? There's a lot of different variations of caregiving, but how I really think of it in the general sense is, yes, anyone who is providing mental support, physical health support to someone who really is not, for whatever reason, because of their medical conditions or mental health, is not able to do that for themselves. And I'm thinking on all levels, right? Whether it's physical care, you know, household tasks, feeding, dressing, doctor's appointments, helping out with finances, all of the levels that I think of. Um, It's really anyone, right? It could be, like you said, many variations an adult to a partner, adult with their parent and a, or a child. And there's a lot of variations of that. But basically the overarching is to me, someone is in this role of tending and having to take care of someone else because of their physical health and or mental health needs. Okay. So being a caregiver uh, is interesting and it, it, it comes with, right, responsibility, accountability, sometimes challenges. Uh, can being a caregiver have a have impact on their own mental health, uh, emotional, physical? So let's talk about positive and negative. I know there's some interesting mm-hmm. things around that topic. Right. And I really think it's important to talk about that. And I love that you included some of the positive 
pieces to include that in because it can be obviously really challenging. And so when I'm thinking of potential negative pieces in terms of what I work with, yes, it could be mental health, right? Sometimes we're kind of thrown into this role suddenly. And it's not like most of us get a blueprint for this. And I mean that on the part of the caregiver and the care recipient. So we can kind of be thrown suddenly into this role. And so we're really trying to learn a lot, maybe about the person's condition. Um, what does that look like? What about our own life? How does that fit in? What do we need to do? And so a lot of logistics, right? And kind of trying to figure out and redefine these roles of what it means to be a caregiver. And so when I'm thinking of quote unquote, like negative pieces, right? That could be really challenging, could be really stressful. There's a, there could be anxiety that goes along with that. It can feel very overwhelming. Um, sometimes it can have a negative impact on our mood. We might feel depressed or sad because here our loved one has been diagnosed with this condition. Um, it's hard to watch someone suffer and go through this. And so you're trying to balance all of these needs. I'm gonna use the term balance loosely here, but it can really have an impact on our mood. And depending on what we're doing, it may impact our sleep, our diet, <laughs> exercise, how we normally live our life and tend to engage in self-care or whatever fills our cup that may be impacted. So we're really maybe having to adjust everything in our life. And so, yes, that can have an impact on our mood, how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about the relationship. And so that's like the mental health piece. And then the physical health piece, obviously we could, I'm thinking about if you're having to, you know, lift someone or help someone physically, are, are you able to do that physically? But again, if we're not also, or if we're in a role where we have to reorganize our whole schedule, right? Maybe we're not able to eat as well as we were able to, or we're just too busy and overwhelmed. It may impact our diet and when we exercise, if we exercise our sleep. So some of those are some of the more general negative pieces, but I also think it's important to recognize the positive or potential positive aspects. I know it does depend on their relationship dynamics and the medical condition, but I'm also thinking of some of the positives of you know, I've had people talk to me about how it can bring you closer to that person. It can be a really positive experience and that that person trusts you to help take care of them or to help them meet their needs. And we can get a lot of meaning and purpose from that. Um, it could be a part of our value system. Here we are taking care of someone we love and maybe we want to model that for our children. And so I think the positive can give us a lot of meaning and purpose. It can help us connect. And also I've had people say to me, hey, look, when this diagnosis happened, it changed our lives, but it also put things into perspective for me and helped yeah. me to prioritize. Yeah. So I know that's a lot, but those are just some of the things. No, it is. And I think often too, uh, from the caregiver perspective and not necessarily, I, I think once you enter in, uh, when it's this situation where you weren't a caregiver, then all of a sudden there is a chronic disease in front of you. Right. And it might be your spouse or your sister or your brother or your parent. Uh, it is disruptive. Uh, the, I think too about like, right. A professional like in your job role, it can be, oh my gosh, now I have to bring home the bacon. Right. And I have to take care of a person, exactly. uh, but that, that also opens up opportunity for that reevaluation piece, which isn't, isn't always the answer isn't in front of us, but I remember Someone on the podcast at some point in the last 50 or so episodes <laughs> um, brought up that everyone they meet who's in this like caregiver profession generally has a story behind it of yes. I was growing up and I had the privilege of taking care of my grandmother or my sister or someone. And I think there are a lot of beautiful things that come out of caregiving and right. this human connection. Right. And right. And how to part of my work in terms of when I work with people specifically, I'm most often working with the caregiver is how do we help 
maybe recognize those pieces or balance those pieces because it can't, it does come with challenges. You can feel overwhelmed. You can feel a lot of conflicting emotions. There can be a lot of dynamics that emerge in terms of if it changes the relational dynamic in any way. And so we're trying to figure out, like validate to me is like, yes, these are all kind of your emotions that you're feeling are normal. And how do we kind of help figure out these different pieces, like a kaleidoscope to me and kind of all these different oh, pieces yes. to figure out. And then you wake up the next day and all the pieces look and different. It, and it's all different. Exactly. <laughs> it's, exactly. It could change the next day or later that day. And so trying to, how, how do we manage all those when those pieces may be moving quite a bit? Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, I like the kaleidoscope reference. Uh, so some of it, we're going to talk about something I have none of, which are boundaries, right? Healthy boundaries. Uh, and this is hard because a lot of caregivers want to serve. Uh, what are some areas people can struggle in that way? And then for both parties, right? The caregiver and the care receiver. Uh, and what are the I don't want to say repercussions of lacking healthy boundaries, but what the consequence maybe. Right. And again, yeah, this is one of um, a key area that I like to focus on and having also had the privilege of helping some of my family members back home in the caregiver role has given me also another lens in terms of boundaries and why they're so important and also why they're hard. Um, first of all, I, what I see a lot is um, the struggle to say, well, am I deserving? Am I allowed to have boundaries? Here, this other person is suffering and I'm trying to take care of them. And or if they have kids at home and a job and a partner and, and there could be all of these, right, the juggling act. And so sometimes what I hear is I'm not the one who's sick. I'm not the one who's struggling. I don't feel like I, I should be saying, oh, I need boundaries. Um, and so sometimes that's kind of the first barrier, right? Is, is it okay for me to have boundaries and have needs and give that permission? And so I'm like, yes, that's important. And I'll explain why in terms of like the, like you said, the repercussions. The second area is what are our boundaries? <laughs> what does that even look like? So the second piece is once we say, okay, I'm allowed to have boundaries. The second piece is what are they? What does that even look like? Because again, if we're kind of thrown into this new role and we have two people trying to adjust to this role, we have to figure out what those are, right? And that could be based on your resources, the different roles. What do you have access to? Is it just you? Is it, are you it? Do you have other people you could access? So it depends on a lot of factors. And so I really try to understand, right? What are the factors and variables involved so we can identify those boundaries? And sometimes Ooh. when we're just really feeling overwhelmed and tired, it's like, okay, what does that even look like? What do I, I don't know what I need. I'm trying to focus on this other person's needs. So I really think it's important that we spend time, first of all, identifying what that might even look like. <laughs> yeah. And, mm -hmm. Okay. So let's go back to what are, in general, boundaries. Yes. Yes. So in general boundaries, I'm thinking, what do we need to focus on our own needs? That's a major boundary. And it sounds maybe kind of silly, but it's very important. What are those needs, right? In addition to the very basic ones, food, sleep, exercise. So those are some key boundaries because if we're not doing those very effectively, that's going to impact a lot of other things. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> Right. Um, but I'm also thinking about a boundary of what is your role in caregiving? What are you able to provide? What can you do? What are you not able to do? So a basic boundary is what is my role? What, where do I begin and end? Um, and the next person begins and ends. And so a boundary is what am I actually able to do? What can I give? And what is my capacity? And that may be I can't be there all the time, or I have to be able to say, I need to take a break and go exercise, or I need to do my own mindfulness, or I need to go to my own doctor's appointments. And so the basic needs are really important that sometimes we forget about. Um, so those are 
some initial ones that I'm thinking of right off the bat that are very important that we sometimes forget. <laughs> yeah. As you may have noticed, it's uh, two o'clock and I, when we hopped on, I was stuffing food in my throat uh, for the first time in almost 24 hours. So, right. Exactly. Uh, and I do it. I mean, like, I think a lot of us do it and we want to serve those around us. Right. Uh, and I think when someone's suffering too, it's, yes. it's hard. It is. Is it kind of the put on your own oxygen mask first? Yes. Theory? Yes, it is. And, and um, sometimes I get strong reactions to that and that's okay. Um, Cause that's where we can talk about that, but it is, it's very much that because really, and this will speak to the repercussion part. If we're not implementing some of those boundaries, meaning when am I saying no, when am I saying yes, when am I accepting some help? Can I ask for help? Um, can I tend to my own mental well-being, whether that's appointments, therapy, medication, spiritual, religious practices, whatever that is, online support groups, whatever those needs are. If we're not doing that, that is what could build resentment. That can lead to resentment and increase in risks of burnout and irritability. And so boundaries are really to protect you, the care recipient, and to protect the relationship. So that you can do what you want to do in the way that you want to do it. That's important for you. So sometimes I'll have people say, oh my gosh, I feel really overwhelmed. How am I going to implement these boundaries? How am I going to be able to do these things? And it is that it's so important that we're putting on our oxygen mask. And I talk about like kind of micro brown boundaries or micro breaks, even if we're just like doing the dishes and listening to a podcast and doing our breathing and tending to our own needs to eat something. Um, or just processing the events yeah. of the day. It's really important that we're creating that time so that we can do what we want to do. Because I view it like a marathon, yeah. right? In a marathon, yeah. we have like different little break stations to get a water break or eat a power bar or go to the bathroom. To me, this is like often a marathon. And so if we need breaks at marathons, we need that here too, to protect ourselves, the other person and the relationship and try to mitigate like burnout and resentment or irritability. It's okay for us to be irritable at some point, of course, that's normal, but we're really, I'm talking about like a prolonged pattern of it. So we're trying to protect the relationship. Yeah. So the, uh, in terms of boundaries, I think many, many, many people I've come across struggle with it's this non-tangible thing that's right do you have any resources you'd recommend on starting to digest like how do I determine what my boundaries are there are many of us who I meet a lot of women in particular who've never yes. in their lives no one's ever asked them the question what do you need and they don't exactly. know exactly and so this is where I find either therapy useful, right? Because we can start to unpack that and say, where can I make, you know, set those boundaries? What are those boundaries? Again, can I say no? That's a big one. Or what happens if I can't say no here? How do I navigate this? Yes. What do I want <laughs> is a big question. That could be really hard to answer. I agree. Right. Um but I usually, I think about like therapy as a really safe space. Um, I know that online these days with virtual things in that respect, I feel like it's a great thing. There are some, I would think like useful, like Facebook groups and virtual yeah. support groups that are much more accessible, I think to people. Cause like for me, virtual therapy has actually been very helpful for caregivers mm -hmm. who maybe can't leave the home. Um, yeah. So I like being able to have that space. Um, there's also an interesting book. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it called Already Toast. It's Already about, Toast. <laughs> mm -hmm, it's about one woman's experience with care. And this is specific for women. She identifies as a woman and her experience um, caregiving. And so it's a very interesting read. It's a very easy read. Uh, so I really, I like that book. But I'm really thinking to, again, therapy or if we utilize um you know, if we're identified as religious or spiritual, seeking out that support, if we have trusted friends, because also what I see with women is 
we sometimes will struggle with ask, like wanting to even talk to our friends because these can be topics that are hard to talk about or admit that we're struggling in. And so I think it's really important because once we start talking about it, we're like, oh, you struggle with that too. Because sometimes we've been conditioned yeah. that we can't say no or um, to really be focusing on everybody else except for ourselves. And so creating space to actually say, well, what does that even look like for me? And so yeah, I, I encourage people to start talking about that. So let me throw a wild idea out that I just had. Sure. <laughs> and it's it. a question slash idea. So one of the the ways I think many people I know set boundaries professionally is based on what the goal is, right? What right. What is the goal of your role and your short-term goals, long-term goals? Would it be appropriate to say to yourself, I'm the caregiver for this person. Let me sit down and think about the goals that I hope to achieve instead of reacting, being a reactive yeah. caregiver, right. sit down and think about the goals and then could essentially say, okay, these are the goals I've set out for us. I want to make sure that you're fed, that you've got yes. this, you're feeling good, you're stretched, your medication is on task, you're going to the doctor and he's saying there's no this or that. These are the goals as the caregiver that I want to provide in the role I have. In order to do that, this is these are the things that I need. Is, would that be appropriate? Yes, I really <laughs> like that. that. Moment. Yes, I really I like that because I um I have I work with a lot of older clients and so we're I'm still paper oriented. I I'm like I'm not gonna use my phone that great for scheduling. So I have a lot of my clients love the idea of like using a really big like calendar, like the I don't know, the desk yep. calendar. Yeah, yeah. And they'll either sit down with the recipient if that person is cognitively able to engage in that and we collaborate together. But then, yes, so we're tracking all of their appointment, like the logistics, right? I kind of do it in yes. layers yep. because I think sometimes if we're like, oh, we have this big, huge thing in front of us. So I will usually break it down for people to kind of start to hone in on specific pieces. So yes, what are like the appointments? What are the basic needs? What are my goals? with the care, the person right. who's on the receiving end. And so then we're like, what about us? What about our physical needs? What about our appointment? What do we need? What is our goals, right? So what's the goals for this person? What does that actually look like action wise or appointments? Again, the logistical pieces, meals, all the things you indicated, but then switching to us, what is the goal? Yeah. Is it, what does it mean for me to have my cup filled? What does it mean for me to be able to do this? What's my value system? What's important to me? And what are the goals? And then I kind of do, okay, what are the physical needs? What are the mental health needs? Right. So I kind of break, start to break it down so we can maybe make it much more like digestible or they can actually entertain it because our brain feels overwhelmed. And sometimes you could be like a computer and just kind of shut down. So if we kind of start to back up and yes, we can outline it for the other person, but then like, the same basic goals, like what are, what do I need to feel fulfilled? Do I need my friends? What are, what is the social piece, mental health piece, the physical piece, um, right? And other pieces that are a part of your life. So yes, if, if it helps to attach it to like goals, how do I want to feel? How do I want to be? And then break it down from there at these different bite levels. Helpful. Little bite-sized chunks. Bite-sized chunks, because I think that when we're caregiving and trying to figure out multiple people's schedules, that if we break it apart, it's easier, I found, to say, okay, let's focus on one arena. What might that look like? What does your exercise routine look like now? Oh, well, it's gone out the window. Okay, that's okay. Let's scale back. What does help you to feel good? What is that? What does that look like? It may not be. I can no longer go to the gym for two hours, but can I do... 20, 30 minutes YouTube video. And that that's maybe what I can start with. And it can evolve over time. But if we start like those kind of general pieces along physical health, mental health, social connections, those pieces. So one topic that is big in the caregiving world, and I think we've just generally seen it over the last couple of years uh, by first responders is burnout. 
Yes. What it's easy to that it happens a lot, right? Yes. I think uh what are if I'm a caregiver, what should I be aware of to kind of like say, oh, that should be a light bulb that maybe I need to take my foot off the gas? Yes. Well, and I liked the question that was posed, kind of knowing the difference between feeling overwhelmed and burnout. Yeah. Uh, because we can feel overwhelmed within the context of burnout, but they are to me still two different things. And I view it because I'm a visual person that I use it, I view it like a thermometer. <laughs> and overwhelm may be more like the bottom or the middle, but I kind of view burnout like the red zone. We're getting hotter and hotter. Um, or another analogy is like we're running out of wick in our candle. Ooh, or we're trying to go, we're trying to keep moving more and more and more, but we feel like we're slowing down at the same time. So I feel burnout is, yes, is the result of really like that prolonged and excessive like stress. And yes, those terms are relative depending on the situation and the dynamics. But what I'm really thinking about when we're thinking about burnout is, again, that concept of I'm, I feel like I'm slowing down, I'm speeding up, I'm trying to do all the things, but I, I, I feel like I can't get as much done. Uh, I'm feeling maybe more irritated. The smallest things kind of set me off. Um, I'm really not sleeping. I don't feel rested. I, I feel more disengaged. Maybe I'm feeling some resentment. I'm starting to get sick, right? My immune system is compromised. We're, we feel like we're kind of shutting down and we're reaching our capacity soon, right? Before we're like, wow, I could handle all of that. And I was doing okay. I was overwhelmed, but I was doing okay. And here we're slowing down, slowing down and just feeling like, again, we're burning through our wick. We're just not able to do what we want to do. And emotionally, we may see more anxiety, more depression, more anger, yeah. more irritability. And, um, and do you start to see like decision-making reduces, yeah. right. which leads to potential negative impacts for the care receiver? receiver. Uh, yeah. yeah, we start to see like it impacts our cognitive functioning, right? It, it starts to impact almost all areas of our life because we're just, we're starting to shut down or disengage and we're still trying hard, but we're just really not able to do what we want to do in the way we want to do it. And again, if we're not sleeping, not eating, maybe we're starting to drink more alcohol, whatever that is, right? We're starting right. to notice some things that um, we're doing more of just to try to kind of get through the day. Um, again, we may see more resentment or more anger or more irritability or I can't do this anymore kind of feeling. And we're just not able to kind of recover. We don't feel recovered. Um, it's just that feeling of disengaged, shutting down. And, yeah. And we're kind of in the red zone. I've been, I know that red zone. Um, yes. I think we all do. And yes. it's, I like the visual. Someone also once described it to me as like, we all have multiple sets of batteries and it's your, it's when your backup, backup batteries are drained. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, do, exactly. I think we do start to make poor decisions or yes. forget things uh, and uh, avoid that boundaries. Right. It kind yes. of, do, do the boundaries set the tone for a successful long-term? I think it can. Um, I think that this is why I think like, again, when I work with people, we really do a lot of that in the beginning, like that exploration. What are the barriers? What are the challenges? Because it is ever evolving. We know that. Uh, it's So we're trying to say, what what's the work we can do now, even though it can change? You might still experience burnout, depending on the relationship and the dynamic, access to resources, et cetera. Um, and so, yes, to me, that's why I'll also say this. I'm like, boundaries are so important because they protect the relationship and it can help mitigate. It could still happen. There's no guarantee, right? Because this, right. this can be hard and there's a lot of factors involved, especially if the care recipient has a cognitive impairment um, and is maybe their personality changes and they're not so nice, right? Like my, my grandfather had dementia and was 
not pleasant towards the end. And so it was really difficult. It takes a toll emotionally, no matter how strong we are. Um, And we can have those boundaries. But what I see with burnout is the boundaries start to like, what we call a right scope creep in other industries. We actually start to do that with boundaries as well, because it gets harder. It gets harder to hold that because we're tired and we just don't have that capacity. And when someone lives in burnout, I guess first, can you tell us a little bit about some of those implications are pretty like long-term implications for someone living in burnout can be very detrimental, but how do you walk back out of the burnout successfully? Yes. Yes. That's the great question. And there's no one thing is what I've learned um, in my past, having gone through burnout and working with lots of people is there's really no one fix. It really does take time because I, I kind of also view it and it's been described like I feel like I fall in a really deep hole <laughs> and yeah. I don't have a lot of tools to crawl out. And yeah. so it can be taking time to crawl out of a hole, to use a metaphor. Again, that may not be everyone's experience, but just in general terms, it's not one thing. So in terms of just kind of having the temperature gauge, is that awareness? I really try to kind of cultivate awareness because if we can catch things a little bit sooner, it's not always possible. We're not perfect, but I really try to focus on how can we be aware, even when it's really, really hard and you're overwhelmed and you have 50 things to do today is how are we feeling today in this moment? Because it could change. Where am I at today in terms of that temperature gauge? And So we could try to minimize if we're approaching it. And then that's when we're going to implement, again, if we're not in therapy, I really encourage therapy or online support groups or having access to resources, books, friends, podcasts, music, our mindfulness, all of the things that we know fill our cup. But here's the deal. Once we're already in the red zone, it can feel really hard to do any of those things right? Just the basic. Yeah, because you are just, a lot of times you don't know where to start. Exactly. And so that's why taking a step back, if we're there, we're right. If someone's listening, they're like, okay, I'm already there. Um, Then I'm like, okay, pause for a minute. Let's take stock of the situation. Do we need to start with, again, Are we tending to our own physical health needs? Do we perhaps need medication to help us, our mental health? Do we need to tend to our own physical health needs? Um, And so when I say to start, we're going to, this is going to be like spokes of a wheel. We need multiple things here, but I start with one or two, right? Because we can have like these beautiful self-care plans and they're magical. We all know what we should be doing, (laughs) Um, but that can feel very hard. So I start with one or two things and from there, and that could be, again, anything from, am I utilizing, if I'm religious or spiritual, do I need to have pastoral support? Do I need to, again, tend to my medical needs? Am I depressed? Am I so anxious that maybe I actually need medication that could potentially help me right now? Um, Do I need to get help? Do I need to reevaluate the situation? Because sometimes we're hesitant to let people in and help because we feel like we should be able to do it, or maybe we don't have anyone to help us. But if we do have access to help, even if it's for like a small break, even if we're just getting outside, because basically to me, our our nervous system, right, is that fight or flight response can be there and we can have that prolonged sense. And so what are we doing to regulate our nervous system? And so tapping into some basic coping strategies. Yeah. Many, many times in the last, I don't know, decade-ish, one thing that has been probably what I'll say is the most useful trick uh, that uh, was given to me by uh, Lori Beth Cohn, who's going to join us. She's an integrative manual therapy and Ayurvedic person. But she said to me, every day before you take the covers off in bed, open your eyes 
and check the weather of your mind and body. Mm -hmm. Yes. That simple sentence, it yes. can be, though, things like that can be transformative. Exactly. Exactly. It's just tuning in to the present moment, right? Yeah. And, and being able to take that time because the reality is, is there's probably a lot of things outside of our control. And right, we can't initially control the loved one's illness and or the progression or even maybe how they're acting, right? If again, if there's cognitive impairment. So sometimes this we love control. <laughs> um, our nervous system really likes us to have control. And the reality is there's very little within our control sometimes. And so sometimes it's scaling back. What do I need in this moment? Yeah. In this present moment, what do I have access to? Again, yeah. go outside. Do I need to go? I had someone who's like, I just go in my car and I put on my heavy metal music and I scream and I yell and I'm like, cool, do it. <laughs> um, do we need to go walk? I have someone who's like, I just, I do a walk around the park or do one lap, come back, or I need to know when I need to take a break and step outside. And those mindfulness, because when I say mindfulness, I don't mean just I'm going to sit here and do meditation, although that's, that could be helpful. But mindfulness is really anything that we're tending to the present moment, um, doing like that deep breathing or what is it that we need, right? Like our deep breathing, taking a walk, leaving the room. Because basically what people will try to do is like, I just need to sleep more. I just need to rest. And although that may be true, that's not or I just need to get to next week when it'll all be okay. It'll all be okay. And the reality is it's, it's no. And once you, yeah. Uh, and I think, and no judgment because I'm the, I'm the same way. Uh, but a lot of times when we do get that ability to, be in our own space and have a little downtime, we. Yes. Yes. Pick up the phone. Yes. Try to catch up on the rest of our life very quickly. Uh, some of it is about, I think, leaving behind everything else and yes. just. Yeah, it's a tough one. Okay. It is so tough. It is so tough. It is, and it takes all, and I think too, is like, as people, as you age, if you've been yes. a caregiver and there's right, there's this, uh, yes. no chronic disease is a continuum or a straight line. Right. There are days that are good and there are really bad yes. days and some normal days in between and riding that I would imagine as a caregiver, when you don't always feel what the person you're caring for feels, you can't actually empathetically get there. Right. Uh, some people have varying degrees of that ability. I uh, can generate resentment, I would assume. Uh, and how do you, I'm sure a book you're familiar with, right? Like the four, the, the four horsemen or whatever, the Gottman book. Yeah, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yes. yes. Right. Like how do you avoid hitting contempt? Because that creates, that's not healthy for anybody. Right. And, and I love this question because first of all, I feel like even the quote unquote best relationships, it can happen because of mm -hmm. like you said, because of that wave. Um, so first of all, I really am like, let's normalize in one sense of the word because it is an emotion. We have to feel how we feel. And why I say that is because sometimes what people will do is they exert a lot of energy trying to quote unquote, get rid of the feeling or not feel it. But we're trying to not feel it versus why am I feeling this way? What do I need to do about it? We're not going to get rid of that emotion. So we might, because there can, I feel like sometimes with caregiving, there could be a lot of guilt involved. And, you know, for feeling conflicting emotions, I don't want to do this. I do feel resentful. I am angry. I am irritable, whatever, if it's a really bad day or what have you. So can we first acknowledge, right? We have Gottman's. I always recommend Gottman's um, work as well. Yeah. And once again, it boils down to first level is that awareness because it can creep on in, right? We're so busy. We're living our life. We're trying to, oh yeah, do my self-care, take care of this person or work. And it's not always obvious until it's obvious, I'll say. So it can creep on in. So what are we doing? How are we feeling? And how we know we're starting to build resentment or again, 
we're a little more short, we're a little more angry, we're a little more irritable, we're not having some positive feelings towards our partner. Because I'm also thinking too, when we're thinking about caregiving, we have to take into account like sometimes there's grief and loss around change, especially if it's with a partner, right? There's these changes in roles or we somehow feel like we've lost ourselves, right? Caregiving can be all consuming and we can get lost in that. And so coming and sometimes I'll liken that to um, my one time surfing. I got caught up in a wave and was tumbled around in what we call the washing machine. It was very disorienting. And so I kind of like sometimes you can feel like that. So yeah. we don't even know what we're feeling. So if we're starting to notice, okay, I'm getting a little more short, feel a little bit more irritable. I don't know, even know if I like this person in this moment. Um, there's perhaps their sign. And so recognizing that first. So let's just say, okay, it's happened. It's here. It's showing up. It's letting me know. Then depending on the capacity of the person, say the person has cognitive abilities, we can talk about it. We can either talk about it with that person, but I would suggest preparing for it, but maybe we're not quite ready to talk about it yet. So then where do we need to talk about it? Do we need to journal? Right. Do we need to do our own like reading? Do we need to talk about it with someone? Do we need to process what we're responding to first so that we can figure out, hey, what do I need to do in this case? Why am I angry? Why did this resentment start building? What's happening? What is my own internal response with the dynamic that led to this? So this is an interesting uh, sort of a deviation into the weeds here. But as you talk about this, I think a lot about the self-talk that helps to build resentment. And I think I'm probably in that, I'm reading uh, uh, Michael Singer, The Untethered Soul. Oh, I'm not yes. that far in, I'm in like the first few chapters, mm -hmm. but it's like, who are you? Who's the other person in your head talking to you? Yeah. And does reframing some of your self-talk have, can it back you down from resentment or some of these areas without even having to, because I, I think when you're giving, when you're caregiving to go to that person, be like, you're driving me nuts. Yeah. And I'm resenting you for it. And they look at you mm -hmm. and they go, really? Yeah. You? <laughs> yep. And that may be an option. It may not be the appropriate first step. And here's why we have to weigh that out. Right. Because I'm thinking like the reality is, is, the other person could probably feel it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Sure. Because they can definitely feel something's different or off. So we're like, okay, how do I, but first we have to understand our experience before if, if it feels appropriate, it may absolutely not be appropriate to go to that other person. That may not be an option. And right. um, sometimes it is um, like I was working with a younger couple, someone who's a caregiver in their, in their thirties. And it like the partner's like, um, are you angry? No. I'm not angry. Oh, are you okay? I'm fine. But like, it was very clear <laughs> that there's right. something going on. So we're, we're kind of like using the space and kind of weighing it out, but you're right. That may not be like, Oh, the first go-to because you first got to understand yourself and what you're actually responding to. So yes, is what am I responding to? What am I telling myself? Um, obviously in CBT, we call those autom our automatic thoughts. It happens so fast. Um, so it's really looking at that and saying, okay, what's, what am I responding to? What am I so angry about? What am I frustrated? Because the reality is, is they're perfectly valid points most of the time. You get to be angry. You get to say, this is not that fun right now. Or I feel like I'm missing out on life, but then I feel guilty and I don't want to tell the other person. And so, yes, it's because I want to validate the valid, as Marsha Linehan says, you get to have that experience. But what can we do? If it's not going to the other person, then we need to do the work. Like you said, do I need to vent? Do I need to like vent to my support group? Do I need a journal? Do I need to reframe it? Right? Do I need to accept where I am right now in terms of this is how I'm feeling in this moment? And that's okay, but I can reframe it or figure out what do I need to do? Um, I really don't love toxic positivity. So sometimes it's really hard to find the quote unquote silver lining. But if we can pull, I do find that 
have cult trying to cultivate these rituals like of connection in either a positive or neutral way to kind of counterbalance some of the things because we can get really overwhelmed and kind of it can get unbalanced and like that we're really focused on like the medical needs and tending to that person and especially like a partner I'll be like can we spend 15 minutes I want you to to talk about anything but the medical piece that can come later but are we doing these rituals of connection that can help remind us connecting in a positive or neutral way and that can kind of help lower resentment as well in terms of the work we can do first when it's not always appropriate to go to the other person yeah it brings gratitude the gratitude or the practice of living gratefully i think right wow okay so as we wrap this up because we're this has been a fascinating conversation (laughs) uh any top tips for people as they move through being a caregiver on how to really survive the long term uh, right. in a healthy way? Yes. I think overarching again, it's I think that you I like that you said healthy way because it's there are going to be the good days, the good, bad, and the ugly. And how do we make this as sustainable as possible when it's it's going to change? And first of all, really is a multi-tiered perspective. And it's knowing ourselves, it's educating ourselves, um, obviously on what the other person's experience, what their needs are. But then once we're doing that, really kind of figuring out that new routine I think it's important that we have routine as much as possible because things change. Um, but having that routine and really giving yourself that permission that you're going to feel a whole bunch of things yeah, and go through a whole bunch of things. And we tend to kind of retreat and hold that in because we're either too busy <laughs> or we're overwhelmed. Yeah. Or we're like, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> I don't want to bring yeah. other people down. <laughs> All of the things. Is it? But what we learned is that connection is so important. Is it possible that uh, when we know something shifts, there is a period of time just from a psychological standpoint, it takes our whole self to adjust? Yes, it does. It does take our whole self. It does. (laughs) It's never like an average. It, it does. It does. It, it does take time because we're really, again, that first layer is, okay, here's a diagnosis. What do we need to do? What does that look like? What are, it's really about the logistics, right? What does this look like yeah. financially? What do I need to do medically? What is the schedule? What do we need to do? Advocate all the things, right? So the first it's like layer a foreign is language. It's like learning a foreign language. It is. It's exactly like learning the foreign language. So first piece is kind of the layer is, okay, here's what's happening what are all these pieces? How do we figure all this out? And so to me, that takes a lot of time, right? In the beginning. And that's fine. That's what it's going to be. And so getting that support, because in the beginning, we're like, I don't know what I need. People will be like, what can I do to help? Or if you have people in your life and you're like, I don't know yet. Um, So once you kind of get through like that piece and and then you start to figure out, okay, what do I need to do? What does this quote unquote balance look like? Then we start to transition into what is a a general routine. Okay, here's your needs. Here's what we need to do in terms of the logistics. Then what are my needs? What do I need to start doing? What do I need to read? Support. What What are the tools I start to need? And I won't know all of them all at once. What do I need to do to get my basic needs met? And then start to incorporate Again, I'm thinking of a holistic piece. For example, like when we don't have a lot of time, I'm thinking of like, there's a free app called Insight Timer that I love because just today I just typed in caregiver. There were pages of caregiver meditation, affirmations, um, support talks. Like there's, there's things that I feel like these days we have access to free resources or what I call micro breaks is how do we start to build in what works for us as we go along 
and it can change right. and we're not going to be perfect, but can we connect? Because sometimes we feel we get lost and consumed. How do we pull back yeah. and access the resources that we do have, right? Talking to a social worker at the hospital, um, I typed up like a list of resources that I'm happy to share as well. That would be amazing. Um, of websites, um, that I have found useful. So I'm happy to share that in books. Um, but really doing that piece and giving yourself permission to tend to yourself. Because if you don't, then we will start to see burnout and other things happen. Yep. So it's really taking the time to meet our basic needs, maintaining our social connections, even if it's online. And like you said, balancing being and doing. Yes, I'm, I also have my phone. But can we do a little bit of that and really some of these other things? Because what we know is that doing this as much as I love scrolling is actually not restorative. Right. And so balancing it with, yes, I can mindlessly scroll for a minute, but what are some actual restorative activities? And that's the mindfulness, journaling, screaming. There's dance where you just scream. You go to a scream class. There's one in Denver. And so things like that <laughs> that are going to help give. I know. I'm like, whoa. I had a client do it. I'm like, okay, I didn't even know that existed, but cool. Yeah. Um, but really being aware of our own experience and focusing on the present moment. What is within our control? I'm going to land and, on that. Yeah. That's This has been amazing. And I hope that this becomes a resource for someone uh, in general. This has been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah. Thanks for your commitment too, to helping people like this, because I think it's so important. So I agree. Thank you. Okay. Let's wrap it. And uh, I look forward to hearing from people on what, what they, what their tips and tricks are. Thank you for having me. It's a topic near and dear to my heart. SpondyCast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit, educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.